Dear white woman therapist, baby, we got trust issues. On this episode of the Black Therapist Podcast, we discuss why it is so hard for some black people to succeed in white spaces, especially when working with white women. And it's because of their emotional dishonesty. Get into it. Finding Happy, Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy is the new book by me, Nikita Banks, a licensed psychotherapist and life strategist. Leverage the knowledge you'll receive in this book to help you with the process of obtaining absolute clarity through the use of guided self-exploration. This process is necessary to help you master all your relationships in 2019 and beyond. Go on Amazon.com or BlackTherapistPodcast.com and grab your copy of the book guaranteed to help you redesign all your relationships based on two basic principles, health and happiness. Get your copy today. Welcome to the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is a podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. Now, if you are new to our show, I am your host, author, life strategist, and psychotherapist, Nikita Banks, in private practice in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. I am available for both psychotherapy and coaching sessions, and you can find more information about that on my website, NikitaBanks.com. You can listen to our podcast everywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Pippa, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and BlackTherapistPodcast.com. If you are a mental health advocate or therapist and you want to buy our podcast merchandise, you can do so by visiting our site. And if you want access to our free mental health tips, free online trainings, discounted selective services, and resources, do so by joining our mailing list by texting "get happy" all one word to six six eight six six. If you love the podcast, please like, comment, and share. We love to hear from you, and if you want to send me some feedback, guest suggestions, or simply to say hey, you can contact us at our website, BlackTherapistPodcast.com. Please be mindful that this episode and all of the information that we provide here is just a resource and a tool to help get you started on your mental health journey. If you are feeling any mental health distress or you are having any significant issues, please feel free to reach out to us so that we can find you a mental health provider in your area. Okay, let's go. Hey, hey, hey guys. Oh my gosh, it feels like it's been forever since there's been a show. Um, it is Black History Month, and it is drum roll, please. I'm not gonna do a drum roll. I'm done. I'm just not gonna do a drum roll. But it is our hundredth episode, so I want to thank everybody who has been listening in over these past I don't know four or five seasons, going through the motions of learning how to podcast and edit and run a business and be somebody's mother and not go crazy. All during a pandemic has been a challenge and a half. But I just want to thank everybody for rocking with us and being very, very supportive on this journey. Um, when I first thought to do this podcast, it really was to kind of break the the barrier um, for people of color to get mental health. And I figured the best way for me to get clients to open up to me was to be able to create a platform where I can open up to people and tell them about my own mental health challenges and my, my own struggles and I think we've we've kind of done the work. We've been doing the work. My goal was to to get to 
five seasons. My goal was to get to um, 100 episodes. And we are here. We've made it. We made it. We made it. Thank Little Black Jesus and Manger and Vice President Kamala Harris for for getting me here. (laughs) But we are here. Um, I'm super excited about what 2021 has in store for us. It has been a long, arduous difficult journey this last year has been crazy 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 and so um I'm gonna try to be more consistent meaning I would love to have a show every week however I don't know if I told you guys this last episode we are in the process of expanding so for the past three four years I've been in private practice in my home office in Bedside, Brooklyn, New York. But some of you guys may also know that I am licensed in four different states. Um, right now, working actively in three states, which is New York, New Jersey, and Georgia. And once the pandemic hit, the consulting work that I was doing had slowed down. I went from making decent money with a decent caseload to you know paying my household bills with that job to just kind of taking on clients that I love in my private practice and being a lot more selective to really having to make a go of private practice and hitting my income goals and stuff. And by the end of last year, I had to put a lot of processes, um, SOPs, learning lingo, business lingo, but SOPs in my business, which is standing operating procedures. I have two interns that are working with me uh, shout out to Italia and Jesse. They're amazing. Um, and they've been helping me do like a lot of the clin- clinical stuff in my business. But we also been interviewing to hire on a lot of work. Mama's been burnt out. I uh, just want to state again, everything that you see, I do myself. So from the websites to the social media to answering you guys, um, media marketing, PDF, my book, everything I've done, I've done myself. I'm self-published. I'm a Libra. I would like to think that I'm not a control freak, but you know, over the last few weeks, just kind of having to have these conversations with my own support system, I've been advised to get a team. So uh, put the, the help wanted sign out. I've been telling people, Hey, I'm looking for a chief operating officer or an online business manager to come in and like assist me with some of my business stuff so I've been really really interviewing because I had uh six staff members that I wanted to hire this year but uh got a new accountant and we're going into group practice so in another few months or another few weeks I'll actually be hiring clinicians so if you are an LMSW or an LPC or uh, LCSW and you are looking to join a team this is this this is an opportunity for you guys to come and join the coolest group practice there's gonna be um, and if you're licensed in New York New Jersey and Georgia these are the states that I'll be able to supervise people to get their own licenses you know uh, if you've listened to my old episodes you'll know that it was a black therapist who was able to support me. I worked at an agency. I took this crappy job at an agency working for clients that I really wasn't super passionate about. You just show up. They put whoever on your caseload. You just got to do the work. 
I didn't really make a whole ton of money, but I was just like, listen, you know what? Money is not the issue. My goal is to be an LCSW and to be in private practice and to work with clients who look like me and do culturally competent, culturally responsive work. And um, it came time to get my hours that I had earned that were in my contract that I was supposed to get. And my white supervisor had decided that she didn't believe I should go into private practice even though I did all of the hours and we did all the supervision and side note, like if she didn't think that I was ready for private practice, part of supervision was for her to make sure that she could get me ready. It had nothing to do with that because she signed some of my paperwork, which meant she gave me some of my hours, but she refused to give me others. And so it was a, you know, my, my team who put me on to, uh, the, the black therapist that I work with shout out to Mr. Ford and Mr. Washington, who then gave me an opportunity once I worked with them to open up my own office in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. So I mean, bedside, Brooklyn, New York. So I say all of that to say, you know, going into that office and, you know, seeing that they owned the building and everybody had a Porsche, everybody in my office had a Porsche. It kind of gave me this idea that I didn't have to be a broke social worker, that I could find my own niche. I could cater to my own clients. I could, um, be the only game in town. I could hire people that look like me and that do the work that serve people who not everybody wants to serve and serves people that most most people and therapists feel like are throwaway clients. Um, and I hate to say that, but you know, their clientele is not the most desirable clients in the office, but they do amazing work and they've been able to create a good living out of it. And so Working there and being able to go to them as a safe haven when the white clinicians didn't want to give me my due and really just wanted to keep me doing agency work for God knows how long, making shit money, to be honest with you. I I was like, yo, this is what I want to do. Like, it, it has been my dream to open up my group practice and hire people who look like me to serve clients who look like me, who don't often have clinicians who completely understand them. And so... This is 2021. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm doing it anyway. I don't know what I don't know. But, you know, uh, being vice president of NASW New York State has allowed me uh, a great network of people who help me and support what I'm trying to do. And they've been assisting me um, to put the pieces of the puzzle together. I had a lot, a lot, a lot of big dreams and big goals when I started out this social work journey. Ooh, I think 12, no, eight years ago. I graduated in 20, oh my God, it's almost 10 years. I went to school in 2012. And so um, this last 10 years has been a, a, a journey but the network that I've created, um, I'm getting emotional. Just kind of seeing the dreams that I put forth for myself and plans that I had in place for my career from before I, I even applied to schools was to be where I am right now. And I'm I'm very thankful. I'm, I'm consistently booked and busy. I'm consistently hitting my income goals. Um, and I'm building my team. So if you are 
somebody who wants to be a social media intern or a digital marketing intern, or if you want to come on and, you know, learn some of the things that I do, hit me up. Uh, the email is blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and if you're a therapist and you're looking for a, a little bit more support, you know, hit us up. We all, we, we always answer our email, um, most of the time. I say most of the time because my black therapist podcast email is not an email that I check every single day, but it does come to my phone. So when there is time, I, I respond to every single thing. If you want to be on the show, just shoot us an email. We are updating the websites right now. Um, and there, there are more staff that we're hiring for, uh, just to get, uh, streamline some of these processes. And I just hired a virtual assistant and an, an online business manager who's going to help me get organized because baby, baby was tired. I was, I was tired. Um, shout out to NASW New York State, Sam, Callie, uh, Michael, Amelia, you probably don't even listen to this show. Um, but yeah, I want to shout you guys out because in everything that I've been doing, just kind of asking questions of that network, Mitt Joyner, they've really been helpful in um, doing that. Also, NASW New York State has our legislative day. Um, I don't know if you guys know, every single year, Ooh, for the past few years, I've been going to Congress to lobby for certain bills. Obviously, this year, I think it's going to be virtual in light of the insurrection that took place and everything else. So um, if I were you, I would contact NASW New York State, NASW um, New York City, and see what you could do in order to get involved. We have to be involved in the legislative process to make sure that we pass laws that not only benefit us but benefit our populations and you know we all have a voice and we should we should we should use it for the greater good okay i feel like i'm in the twilight zone like the conversations that i'm seeing happening in in my social work groups are kind of crazy right so we all know that there's the QAnon conspiracy theory stuff that's happening and you know I'm in a few mixed groups with like white people a lot of my groups that I'm in are full-on you know black on black on black therapy groups not because I don't like mixing with people who are not black but because most of those groups are not anti-racist most of those groups they're like problematic stuff so in one of the groups I'm in, in several of the groups that I'm in, there is this ongoing discussion about allowing therapists to be racist and not discriminating against them for their beliefs. Even if they work with people of color, even if they work with clients and they're harming them. And I, I just don't know why I should not discriminate against a racist. I don't know why I should not be able to like not not agree or be agreeable or agree to disagree with a racist. Like I just don't understand it, especially somebody in a professional manner. So 
um, in one of my black groups, there was a client who came to see her black clinician and she was like, I came here because I had a white clinician. And, you know, during the Black Lives Matter movement, she was, the clinician was like, I'm so sick of the marches. And then the client was like, you know, um, you know, I'm really struggling as a black woman in the country, this country with this anxiety. And she was like, well, um, I think we should just do away with all of that. Like, duh, of course we should do away with, do away with what me complaining about it, the racism, like what? And she was like, well, no, I don't see color. Nah, like the, the, it, it, the lack of culturally competent and culturally responsive care has to be addressed in all manners, in all levels. And these are kind of things that I've personally been grappling with. And I'm compassionate, I'm empathetic, but the more and more I learn about white people, I sometimes struggle to see if myself, if I am culturally competent enough to deal with certain white clients. And I'm going to tell you why. So there was a post on Facebook a few weeks ago, a week ago, some time ago, where this gentleman posted something. Now, first of all, side note, hi, guys, if you are new here and you don't know anything about me. So I grew up in uh, Bedside, Brooklyn, which is the blackest place. Well, was when I when I lived there it was the blackest place on earth pre gentrification. You know, brown stones galore. My principal, my my teachers, my landlord, my um, my ministers. Everybody was black in my neighborhood. Like I can't really think about. I can think of one white teacher that I had, and his name was Mr. Moyne. Shout out to Mr. Moyne if you're listening. He's not listening, <laughs> but you know, Mr. Moyne is the only white teacher that I recall I'm sure that I had others but you know Miss Plave she was Spanish she taught us Spanish but I can only call them out because everybody else was black you know shout out to 324 308 262 um if y'all are not from New York our schools have numbers they have names too but nobody cares about the names so I was actually taught black history I can remember it's Black History Month. Shout out to Black History Month. Um, I, I couldn't remember being a little girl going to school with my sister and my sister's teacher telling me that Langston Hughes was her boyfriend. And I just remember like maybe being in the fourth grade or something like that. I was pretty little, but I was like, gosh, teachers have boyfriends and like giggling and stuff. Now I know that Langston Hughes was probably a homosexual, but greatest poet I've ever known she made me love his writing and you know I I had black history I was all black everything like we we learned black art and so I didn't really grow up in an environment where there was a whole bunch of white people until high school when I went to high school we moved to Alexandria Virginia shout out to Lorton jail no don't shout out <laughs> but we lived in Lorton we went to went to Fairfax County Schools. I went to Hayfield Secondary. Um, yes, this country as it sounds. If you ever seen the movie Remember the Titans, 
Remember the Titans, that first all-white school that T.C. Williams played? I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. But T.C. Williams was a high school football player, even f- football, and even school. And even when I went to school there, they had the finest black guys. Well, I didn't know it was an all-black school. And it wasn't when the whole Remember the Titans thing happened. If you don't know what Remember the Titans is, I feel like I am digressing. Remember the Titans was a movie where Denzel Washington played the first black coach to coach this um, this school. And people didn't really want him there. So that's that. But however, um, Hayfield Secondary was the first school that they played when it was characterized as an all-white school. And... It was pretty mixed when I got there, but it was still very white for me because the first time in my life I had a white friend. Um, her name was Carol. I don't remember her last name. She moved by the time I was in 10th grade, but she was my very best friend and I really liked her. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's my first like meeting of the white folks. Right. So then let's fast forward. So some guy named Marco Rogers at Polotech, I guess, on Twitter, posted up this this thread, and it's called, um, and he says, did y'all know that a lot of white people don't have the cultural concept of real talk? You know where you stop saying the diplomatic thing and tell people what's really going on. They just don't have it. You try to have a moment of real talk, and they freak the fuck out. I'm just reading it. Um... And so, until I read this post, I never even thought about the communication issues of me being a black woman who's always, like, I'm a Libra and I'm a good liar. Let me say that off top. I can lie with the best of them. I'm Denzel Washington on the lies. But integrity wise I just hate lying my friend tonight we were talking about something and he was like you you a liar and I was like bruh and he was like you know what let me clean it up because that's one thing you don't you don't do now if if it's not about my money and I ain't going to jail I'm probably not gonna lie to you but if it's about money and jail then maybe I'm gonna I'm come up with a story real quick just let you know but the way my integrity is usually set up I really I like I hate 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 lying I hate lying do not like it and so I'm you generally direct I find myself being an open book and if you ask me anything unless I don't even if I don't want to answer it I'm just not going to answer it I'm gonna tell you it's none of your business but I never thought of white people and white women specifically as not being able to handle real talk Okay, let's get back to the tech, the, the thread. So then he said, right. Okay, so a woman named Erica Joyce, she responded, yep, I've been noodling on this and the amount of communication misses that happened because of it. If you violate the no discussions about conflicts rules, you have to go. On the flip, black folks expect real talk and never get it, which ends up putting us at a disadvantage. Um, she didn't put, 
spitballing if wasp culture is that you don't publicly discuss anything that could be the source of conflict no politics or religion at the dinner table when conflicts are brought up in the workplace the cultural standard is to ignore them versus discuss them a read and then he says right even those of us who have been relatively successful so far in figuring out how to move in white spaces can eventually run up against this failing to figure out figure it out can put us at can put a hard limit on POC's upward mobility. Ooh, and then a white woman, Laura Bridgewater, she put, she's a raised, raised wasp right here. There's conflict avoidance and also a whole dance to the passive aggressive part of the culture that has me laugh out loud. That's not how you say it. LOLing. <laughs> when people claim notes, are passive aggressive um no not even close right and she said wasp never discuss anything directly they'll come at it sideways with a glass knife seemingly innocuous phrases are actually put downs insults or object lessons people are left out in the cold with little to no warning grudges are epic conformity is prized candor is not directness is considered shockingly rude and you get good at reading micro expressions tone and body language because that's where real wise communication lies you also learn to recognize when a random observation really isn't my poor husband didn't get it until my elderly father came to live with us for several months And then, oh, somebody else commented, it is true. And white women are tasked with sensing that real talk might be on the horizon and smoothing things over to keep it from happening. Many of us have internalized the notion that we are responsible for other people arguing to that point. And then Marcos replied, oh, shit, I've definitely experienced this, but I didn't think I connected it in this way if white women are tasked with keeping the peace it explains a lot about black folks so often ending up being intimidating or aggressive in their mind we cry when we are unable to keep the peace <clears throat> this is what a white woman is saying it is out of a genuine and completely misplaced sense of failure but it also serves the purpose of redirecting peoples from whatever they were fighting in quotes about. This is also known as white women's tears and we need to stop it. Okay, wait, I think I missed something. Bear with me now. Bear with me. Bear with me. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm gonna try to post the thread to my um to my um Instagram. It says it's one of the things that make 
it difficult for POCs and black people, especially to form real trust relationships with white people. This is Marco again. Y'all don't know what's going on because no one tells you and no one tells you because they can't because you can't actually handle the truth. That's not we can't handle the truth is white people can't handle the truth. I've come to understand that white people have their own seemingly convoluted way that they decide what's going on and what to do about it. I have a really hard time navigating those rituals. I think a lot of us do, and it damages our ability to be successful in white spaces. Reading this post, yo, it explains a lot about why I don't really trust white people. People. I don't trust anybody who doesn't speak real talk. And the white guy put on the post, oh no, he's not white, he's black. I don't know what he is. He just he looks he looks a little chocolate. But it says white women's tears are some of the most dangerous weapons known to man. Um and then Alfonso Calazo, I'm just calling people's names like I know them. He said, it's not just WASP culture, Hispanic, Latinx culture is very much like this. We are more vocal, but time and place and not airing dirty laundry, a.k.a. Trapos Viejos is a major concept. Yeah, but I feel like everybody does that. Black people do that, too. Um, I don't I don't know white people. I don't know. Like, it's really had me thinking, can I be a culturally responsive therapist to white people if I don't understand them like this is not a part of the culture that I understand if I have a thought I express it if I have a feeling I express it it took a long time to get to this point but yeah I don't hold anything back anymore that y'all listen to the show y'all know if I have if I have something to say I say it and so I felt triggered reading this. I feel like I don't know that I could ever really trust white women if their tears are going to be weaponized against me and I'm not going to be able to full up to to be in white spaces full and authentically myself. I talked about that workplace that I worked at previously and where the white woman didn't want to give me my hours not only did she not want to give me my hours but she asked me to see my lcsw exam now anybody who's taking this exam knows it's a four-hour exam and it's an almost 400 dollars test but she needed to see the results of my exam before she decided that she was going to sign off on any of my paperwork because she didn't believe that i could actually take the test before she signed my papers what she didn't know is that i'm licensed in new york and new jersey and new jersey didn't require her to sign off on anything to give me permission to take the test little did she know so now i'm like well damn was she even going to sign off on the paper so that i could take the test so that i could get out of there and then she was like, no, I need to see um, the test that you took because you said you passed it. Are you sure you took the right test? No, I sat for four hours and paid $400 for a test and I took the wrong test. Don't. I, I, I looked at her like she had eight heads. And she was like, "I can. do you mind if I see it? Yes, I do mind. No, you cannot. You don't need it. It's not relevant. I'm not giving it to you. 
And this is a white woman that I like, I cried in her office and I like, she was my supervisor, a supervisor. When you do therapy is a intimate relationship because you have to tell them when you, when you have transference, you have to tell them when you're scared, you have to tell them when you don't like a client, you got to tell them when you have bad feelings. If you, if you, you know, your nethers get all in, in the bunch cause you, your client is fine. It ain't never, ever happened to me, but you know, you gotta be kind of honest with them and be transparent so that you could become a better therapist. So I felt like I felt genuinely hurt when she was like, mm, no, I'm not going to sign off on your paperwork. And I know it wasn't her. It was this little old lady who was the director like I like I genuinely know that she was just kind of like going with the flow with whatever the director was saying. And I had to just be like, you know what? Give me what you'll give me. I'll get the rest somewhere else. But how can you genuinely trust white women if they show up as inauthentic most of the time? And I don't I, this is not all white cultures because I had, you know, co-workers who were greek i've had co-workers who were italian um my russian friend if you ever heard the the episode of I had a white friend we're no longer white friends she's my she was my russian friend she's no longer my russian friend but she was my russian friend my israeli friend like there are some cultural subsets within white culture that they they gonna give it up however they however you get it you gonna have to hold it and I'm cool with that but this other piece of like white women having crying and stuff like I've I've only experienced that in the workplace one time so let me tell you about it <clears throat> same exact workplace I probably told this story before. Same exact workplace. There was a young lady. She worked at, um, well, she went to NYU. Like I went to NYU. She was an LMSW. I was getting my LCSW. And um, she did my schedule. And one day, it's probably not related, but it may be related. One day she came to me and she said that one of my clients, um, sh- I shouldn't give them clearance to get a Metro card. So, so when you have Medicaid or Medicare or Medicaid plan in New York city, you are given a token or like a permission slip. I don't know what they bus pass. I don't know what they call it out of town, but you're giving the amount of the fare. It's not money, but you're given a ride, um, on the, public transportation in order to go to go to and from the appointment and so she came to me and was like hey just a heads up one of your clients I saw them driving don't give them a metro car and I said why and she said well because they were driving and they own a car I said what is does their insurance give them a metro card she says yes I said well mind your business now maybe I shouldn't have said mind your business but I said my business. Now, now I'm a little bit more. I don't think I said, I, I probably said my business. I'm not going to clean it up. I probably did say my business, but I think I said it in a nice, the nicest way I could possibly say it. I, I, and I remember vividly asking her, what did that have? Like they're entitled to it. 
because the insurance pays for it. So give it to them. Period. Like, why would you spite somebody a $5 Metro card? Mind your business. This ain't, that shit ain't got nothing to do with you. So anyway, <clears throat> that was that incident. Um, And then there was no argument. There was no dissatisfaction. There was no nothing. I don't, again, I don't even know if this was related. So I had some issues with my schedule. She did my scheduling. I told her the issues that I had with the schedule. I was very respectful, was no argument. All of a sudden, the old lady that I told you guys about, um, the executive director came to me and was like, hey, um, you're not allowed. I would just prefer it if you don't speak to the girl anymore. And I was like, speak to the girl about what? And she was like, well, there was obviously some exchange. There was some hostility. And, um, you know, I would just prefer it if you don't speak to her. And that particular day, whatever I whatever conversation we had was about a work product. Young little white girl. I think she was in her 20s. So I said, well, um, are you asking me not to speak to her about her job as it relates to my job? Because if you're asking me not to speak to her socially, I won't. Like, it's not a big deal for me. Now, I'm not I'm not friendly at work, to be <laughs> perfectly honest. And I damn sure wasn't friendly in this workplace because I didn't trust any of them. I wanted to. And, and mind you, my own therapist had worked there like maybe 20 years before I worked there. And when I told him where I worked, he started laughing and he was like, yo, get your stuff and get out of there. Like get your, get your hours and get out of there. Don't get comfortable. So I already had, I already had to lay the land and he's a, he's a white guy. I've said this previously, haven't seen him this year. Need to call him, whatever. So that happened. Right. So then I'm like, I don't understand why I can't speak to the white girl about her work, but you know what? Game on. So I was told that she went to the super the the big boss, not even like my supervisor. She went to the 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 head of the the agency and told them that I I said something to her that offended her and she started she was crying and I I was blindsided, right? Because I literally only had a conversation with her about my schedule and the work product. No problem. So I was like, okay, game on. So I asked the director, okay, so when I need something changed in my schedule, who do I speak to now? And she said, well, just come speak to me. Why she said that, y'all? I was in her office eight times a day about the stupidest things, about the simplest stuff. And that lasted probably about a week. But after a week, I, I got to speak back to the girl. She told me it was okay if I spoke back to the girl. Yeah, you, you go on and speak back to her. I didn't stay at this job long. I don't know if I was there a year. Was I there a year? I don't even know if I was there a year. I might have been. I don't remember. I I blocked it out in my memory bank. It was it was not. Mm -mm, I didn't like it. No. So I got what I came to get. I got my hours. I passed my licensing exam. Where was it in like September, August, September? Um, I was eligible to get my LCSW in October around my birthday. I got my new job the week after. I put my resignation in right then and there. 
and then I was out of there. So I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but get out, girl, clean up your stuff, get your hours, do what you need to do, find you a good, good, good mentor, get your game plan, get your hours, and quit that dead-end job because it ain't worth it. Take your license and exam, take your license and exam, get your hours, and get out of there because I, I could not have done that for a number of years. And I'm still, you know, pretty cool with some of the coworkers that work there. There were not that many of color. The people that were of color who were there, they worked there part-time. They worked there the nighttime when none of the people in the daytime that was giving me a headache was there. And they would tell me, girl, I don't know why you're here in the daytime because I would never do this. So they worked in the nights and the weekends when they could just get what they needed and left. But there I was. I quit, I quit there the same day I passed my test. I got a new job. I was out of there. Sorry. Bye. 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 Anyway, <laughs> but this has me, you know, thinking I'm at a real serious disadvantage if I'm ever in an environment with there or when there are a lot of white people and especially white women, right? Like how can you gain trust from them if what they say is never what they mean? Like I don't operate in that kind of environment. I cannot thrive with fake people I'm never going to be in an environment where I choose my words super duper carefully all the time I do it at work my word is my instrument at work I don't got it for my coworkers all all the time I don't have it for my family I don't have it for my partner I ain't got it and so I wonder if this is something that as a black clinician who you know, I have some white women who I do see as clients. Is this something that we need to address? This inability to be honest about uncomfortable situations? And this is definitely something that I'm seeing in these white therapy groups to kind of tie it all in. Because, you know, there's this idea that people shouldn't, white people should not be ostracized for their thoughts or they should not be ostracized for their beliefs. Oh, they're in, they're in QAnon. Oh, well, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that doesn't make them a bad therapist, huh? You don't wait, 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 wait. You believe that people are eating babies and that doesn't make you a bad therapist where's your reality testing that's not that's not fact-based like what we do is based on scientific methods that's what evidence-based practice where's the evidence that you know biden and people eat babies that's a little crazy to me i'm sorry i can't i can't overlook that and but just dismiss it as somebody's belief. White supremacy is not something I'm going to be able to overlook. But I think because white people specifically and white women is, you know, I mean, basically who we talk about a lot in this post. Um, Cause the white, I feel like white men have the freedom to say whatever it is that they want to say this. I don't really feel like a lot of this applies to white men period. Cause white men just say whatever they feel like it. So I feel like this just, applies to white women but we've seen a lot of the QAnon conspiracy theory stuff 
be driven by mothers and white women and healers and whatnot. And so to be a black woman in this space and work with white people who, who are just like, oh, well, you know, somebody could be racist, but it doesn't make them a bad person. I don't know how to I, I don't know how to operate in that kind of double minded environment. And I think because of the fact that white people are always compartmentalizing race and um, their own feelings and reality all the time that that's why they struggle with dealing with racism and that's why they struggle with dealing with anything that doesn't fit into their concept or box of reality and that's why I have a hard time with it I have a, a hard time with it I'm not afraid of a lot of things you know white iffiness scares me I'm gonna be honest with you the the sometiminess the com- the compartmentalizing that it takes in order to be white and love your grandma and hear her say the n word and still believe that she's a good person i i don't i don't have the i don't do those gymnastics i don't i don't do those gymnastics i know plenty of guys in the hood growing up in Bedside Brooklyn who were like bad dudes they did bad things and you may never know it but we saw the whole person like I had a friend I'm not gonna say no names but I had a friend he was like front page of the news oh he probably still in jail football numbers he did all kinds of things but I, but the things that they said about him in the newspaper it was definitely not indicative of the person that he was but when I saw it you didn't hear me say you know what he was such a good boy I believed everything that they said about him I just said you know what he is a complicated <laughs> that's a complicated dude what he kidnapped the judge what he did Mm-mm. He, baby was complicated but um I saw the whole person. I did. I didn't go on the news and say he was such a good boy. He made me laugh. We had a good time. Um, he was, you know, he's a dangerous guy. Case closed. So I don't know if I could really form real, true trust bonds with white women if I if I, if I have to often wonder what they say. It's not fact-based and what they say is not what they mean all the time. And if I'm expected, <laughs> if, if if Nikita is expected to watch what I say and how I, I approach topics because I'm, I'm just confrontational. And now that I'm thinking of it, I had a, I worked at a social work environment. It felt very touchy feely. It felt very inclusive and, we would do trainings in the summertime and I would, um, if you've listened to the past episodes, you'll probably know where this place is, but I'm not going to say it right now. We did trainings in the summertime where we would train everybody from top down. And, um, I felt like because the, the, the population that we served looked a lot more like me than a lot of the other clinicians that were there I gave up myself more in these trainings where we had to be transparent and talk about our history of trauma and you know the things that we see in police brutality and stuff that we experienced and um I wasn't asked 
back. I wasn't fired, but it was contract based. It was grant funded. They ran out of funding, whatever, um, for the, for my project. They were trying to bring me back on something else. It just never, it didn't happen. And then I ended up in that other sucky place that I ended up working. But, um, um, what ended up happening was once I wasn't asked, once I wasn't invited back, um, because the funding was lost, I got inside my head and I was like, damn, maybe I, maybe I was too transparent. Maybe I was too honest. Maybe that's the reason why it didn't, it didn't work. And I spoke to several different people. It wasn't just like, I lost my funding. Everybody at my school, you know, wasn't placed, um, they found different jobs and stuff and they, they didn't go back. But I, you know, as the black girl in the room where there weren't a lot of us, I really did think maybe I gave too much of myself and maybe I was too honest about it. And that's a horrible feeling to show up as yourself and being honest and being authentic and feel like it, it cannot, it's not validated in the workplace and in the work product, especially when your clients look like you, especially when you're doing it in service of educating, um, therapists and clinicians who are not completely you know culturally immersed so yeah I mean you know drop a pin drop a comment let me know what you think about this episode like can can we really truly trust our white female co-workers and and even in this space social work is so heavily female um I don't know like how can you build trust with people that you can't you can't take at face value when they say something I don't know I was I was very triggered by this idea and it really made me think damn I don't even know if I'm culturally equipped to deal with to to deal with white people um it's a lot it it, it it's a lot oh and i said i don't um on the on the post i said this is eye-opening and terrorizing at the same damn time and um shout out to demetria dairy because she was the one that posted this um article she said yeah White people will let the elephant in the room sit on you and squash you to death before they let you confront the problem. So, um, clearly I wasn't the only one that was triggered by this post because there were a lot of comments on the post. But, you know, let me know if this is something that resonates with you guys and how you feel about it. And, you know, if this if this informs you on just kind of how you have to deal with white people when there are delicate issues. Delicate issues that you got to deal with the delicate flowers of of society in order to deal with i mean hey anyway thank you for listening to another episode of black therapist podcast this is our 100th episode i am i want to thank you guys for listening and rocking with us i'm not gonna do no whole bunch of edits because it's late but you know thank you for being supportive um buy a t-shirt buy a hoodie (laughs) and be well
Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your host, me, Miss M-S-N-I-K-I, thanks, on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A, banks.com, and on the show's website, Black Therapist podcast.com and don't forget if you want to send us any general feedback show suggestions uh, show topics or guest ideas please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com thank you be well